How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And now from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. How long, Lord? David wrote those words 3,000 years ago, and they have been echoed, I am sure, by many, many down the ages. Many of us probably have, if maybe not using those exact words, have echoed the sentiment, how long, Lord? You may have heard of John Bunyan, pastor or preacher, author of Pilgrim's Progress, great man. People would get up at 4.30 in the morning, hundreds, thousands to hear him preach before they went off to work. What many people don't know is that Bunyan spent 12 years in prison voluntarily. He could get out at any time if he gave an assurance that he would not preach the gospel. But he stayed. Bunyan describes his daughter Mary's visits to him. He said they were like pulling of my flesh from my bones. The pain of the separation that he experienced for Christ. How long, Lord? William Cowper, maybe a name that you don't know, but one of the greatest hymn writers uh, in English history wrote many of the classic English hymns, great friend of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. What many people, again, don't realise is that Cowper struggled with chronic depression throughout his life. Sometimes he was immobilised by despair, could not do the simplest things. Repeated suicide attempts. How long, Lord... We could go in the modern time, go to Syria, go to Afghanistan, go to Iraq, find Christian brothers and sisters persecuted for their testimony to Christ. Those who face hardship, famine, 
ostracised at work, at school, at home. Those who face the slow decline of age, the pain of illness, physical or mental. How long, Lord? The psalm we're going to look up this morning, Psalm 13, is a great blessing to us. I don't know if you noticed, before Hannah read it to us, uh, the top line said, a psalm of David for the director of music. This was a song that was designed to be sung by the congregation of God's people. I don't know how you would have felt this morning that instead of singing what we've sung, we sung Psalm 13. How long, Lord? But as it is a song for God's people, it is a great blessing to us because it helps us to understand that pain in our life and how we are to deal with it as his people. We're going to look at the psalm in three parts. We're going to look at the cry of the despairing, That's verses 1 and 2. The appeal of the hopeful, verses 3 and 4. The resolve of the trusting, verses 5 and 6. And then we're going to explore some ideas for comfort when God appears to be absent. But why don't we pray as we start. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you that you speak to us in every circumstance of our life. We thank you that there is nothing that we face, that you are not with us as we face it. Lord, we ask that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. Father, I pray particularly for our brothers and sisters who cry, how long, Lord? Lord, we ask that you would show them your salvation, both one at the cross through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the salvation that awaits. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Four times. Four times David cries out, how long? Now, we don't know any details. We don't know what the circumstance that David was facing. We don't know whether it was Saul chasing him around the desert, whether it was a personal sickness and grief. We don't know. But what we do see crystal clear is David's pain. Look there, the internal turmoil. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? If you've been in that place, you know that your thoughts can go round and round and round. They accuse you. They drag you down. How long, David writes, must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Go to bed with grief. Wake up with pain. It continues day after day. And not just the internal turmoil, but the external, 
the enemy that gloats, how long will my enemy triumph over me? Maybe the one that says, he trusts in God. She trusts in God. Let God save them. David, David's pain is here to see. And you see there in verse 1 that he lays it at God's door. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? The implication being that if the Lord chose to act, David wouldn't be in this situation. Now, David's not saying that God has memory issues. David's not saying that, that, that God has found something good to watch on television or maybe just got distracted, uh, busy with the chores, uh, and he's just let it slip. Oh, I'm sorry, David, I forgot. No. When the psalmist uses the idea of God forgetting, what he is saying is that God has yet to deliver. There is a need, there is a crisis, and God has not yet delivered him. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We always know that there's something wrong in a relationship, don't we, when we can't get eye contact. When people turn away, when you talk to the back of their head rather than their face. David's experience here is that God has turned his face. And if we go into scripture, we find that the face of the Lord is an extraordinarily special place. So when Moses was given the law by the Lord, he was given a particular phrase to give to Aaron, the high priest, to pronounce blessing upon the people of Israel. You're probably familiar with it from Numbers 6. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. To be before the face of the Lord is to know blessing, joy, love, hope. All the good things are there as God graciously smiles upon you. But to be cut off, to be turned away, that face from you, it is literally judgment and hell. When we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul uses this phrase. He says he's speaking of the judgment of God falling. He says they'll be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord, literally from before his face. What David is experiencing, he is likening in language that God's word uses of judgment and hell. How long do I feel that I am under your judgment? Now, I don't know this morning, I don't know exactly where everyone is. Some of us as Christians, we wrestle with an issue. Maybe you're in someone who's exploring the Christian faith and it's great that you're here this morning. Some people struggle with the idea that the Bible presents, and it does present this, that God is both all good and all loving, and all-powerful. 
Because they see that if God was both all good and all loving and all powerful, evil and suffering wouldn't be an issue. That God's people would never cry out, how long? We would never face this pain. And one solution is to say that God's powerful, but he doesn't care. Another solution is to say God cares, but he's not powerful, so he can't really do anything. He'd love to help you, but it's just beyond his capacity. Neither of those are answers that the Bible gives to this issue. The Bible presents both God as loving and good and powerful. How do we put it together? Just briefly, because it's not the main thrust of the sermon this morning, I want to say two things. God has answered once and for all the issue of evil and suffering and pain. And he has done that through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The gospel declares that at the cross, the event that was required to bring all of that to an end happened. And we now live awaiting its fulfillment when Christ returns. And in Revelation 21, you have a picture where God wipes away every tear from his suffering people's eyes where suffering and pain and everything that mars God's creation has gone because he has made all things new. That's the first thing. God has dealt with it and he will deal with it. The second thing is this. Often those who make this objection assume that nothing good can come out of suffering. That our pain cannot bring any good result. Brothers and sisters, can I take you back to the gospel? There is the perfect example that God uses suffering and innocent suffering to produce the most wonderful blessing as Christ suffered and died in our place. And the promise is there, not just that that was the case in Jesus, but it's the case for us as well, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. He works in our crises and our pain. He works as we cry out, how long, O Lord? Now, if you leave God out of the picture, your psalm stops at verse 2. You can cry out all you like, But there is no answer. Suffering and pain is meaningless. It's just random chance. But that's not where David goes. That's not where the Bible goes. So let's go on to verses 3 and 4. Look at me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. It's a really interesting thing. How did David start? Let's go back to verse 1. He says this, Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? God feels distant. He's not there for David. So what's the logical thing that David should do at this point? He's feeling that God has walked away. Does it make any sense for David to come and say, look on me and answer? David knows that what he is feeling in his heart, 
the emotions that are in turmoil in his brain is not reflecting reality. That the God who feels distant, the God who feels like he has turned away, is a God that he can still come to and pray to. Another thing that he tells us, that in his appeal, is that God's silence doesn't mean David's guilt. A lot of people will say, a lot of Christian people, preachers will stand up and say, if you have enough faith... These things, they won't happen to you. They'll go away. You'll pray, God will solve it. It'll all happen. Brothers and sisters, I've been Christian for long enough to know that that is not true. I've read scripture for long enough to know that that is not the testimony of scripture. David here is in no way culpable for his suffering. God is not punishing him for his sin. He doesn't repent of anything. In some other Psalms, he does. But here... David's suffering seems to have no particular cause that he can put his finger on. He feels no need to go and beg God's forgiveness and mercy. He just appeals to God for salvation. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognise that God is in our suffering, but he is not angry and wrathful and punishing us. Sometimes he is the loving father who disciplines us, but not always. David here never gets an answer, like Job never gets an answer. But his faith remains sure. He moves on. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now what's happened? We've got David in the depths of despair. David crying out how long and now he's, he's trusting, he's rejoicing and he's singing. Has God saved him? Has he been delivered? Well, pretty much every commentator that I read says no. That the salvation that he's speaking of is in the past and in the future, but not in the present. That David is not looking and saying, oh God, you answered my prayer, thank you. David is doing something that I think is very important for us to see. He looks back, like any good employer, uh, not that God is employed by David, past performance is always the best indicator of future, yes? Okay, we know that. What does David do? He goes back to the faithfulness of God. The word here that is translated unfailing love is a covenant idea. It's an idea, it it's, could be translated his covenant faithfulness or his loving kindness. And the emphasis is not so much on the emotion side of it, but on the commitment side of it. This is a love that never gives up. And what David is doing is he's going back in his history and in Israel's history, undoubtedly, and seeing the times that again and again and again and again, God has shown himself faithful to his promises. 
God does not make a promise and then just walk away and forget. God is 100% faithful. So in his depths of his despair, in his sadness and his mental anguish, he's crying out to God, but he's also reminding himself, my God is a God who is faithful. My God is a God who saves. My God, I know he saves because he saved me from Goliath. He saved me from Saul. He kept his promises and he made me a shepherd boy, king of Israel. He delivered me out of the hands of my son Absalom when he tried to take the kingdom. He delivered me again and again and again. And he delivered his people again and again and again. So David goes back and looks at his faithful God. And that is the foundation for his trust, for his joy, and for his song. It doesn't leave him in the pit. It leaves him with a joy that transcends our circumstances. So often when things are bleak, it feels like the world closes in, yes? It feels like no one else understands. It feels like our world is a world of pain. David deliberately takes himself outside of himself, outside of the sorrow of his heart, outside of the turmoil of his thoughts, to the faithfulness of his God. William Cowper, in the depths of depression, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, that speaks of the righteousness of God that is ours through faith in Christ, that our status as forgiven, that was the anchor for his soul. Cowper goes to the gospel. And so can we. David could go back through his own history, through Israel's history. How much more can we, who have all of that, but we have its promise fulfilled in the gospel of Christ. So when we are in this situation, when we cry out, how long, Lord, where is comfort? Where is the God of all comfort that Paul writes about? Ultimately, we find him in the gospel. Let's make a few points as we conclude. It is really helpful to build the ark before the flood. Can I say that? Or to put it, contextualize it for this week, it's really good if you cleaned the gutters before the rain came. Otherwise, you're, you're out there in the rain, you're out there in the wind with the lightning striking around. Have you ever done that? I've cleaned the gutters in a lightning storm and it's rather scary at the time uh, and you are exposed. It is much better to do that on a day like today. So, brothers and sisters, it is meant to rain this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day in case we haven't got enough. So if you haven't cleaned the gutters, go home and do it then. Okay. But if you try... And Catherine walks out. Are you going to clean the gutters? Are you... No, you can, surely you can wait for another five minutes. No. Sorry. But it's really hard to get your bearings... When the fog of pain and suffering has closed in around you, 
It is much easier to take your bearings when you have clear vision, when you can see for miles, when you can rejoice in the faithfulness of God every day. So when the fog closes in, when the night falls, you're not struggling to find your place. You know the blessings of God. If you haven't got your theology right before the storm hits, God is gracious, but it is harder. It is harder. If someone has sold you the lie that God is promising you health and wealth and everything going swimmingly, it will shake you when those times come. But if we know the promises of God and exactly what it is that he has promised us, we will know that he can be trusted. What else? Psalm 13, I think, is a model for us. It's there for us in Scripture for a reason. It's there for Israel to sing. It's there for us. What does David do in his pain? He brings it to God in prayer and in song. What do we need to do? To actually speak our pain before God. Not to feel that we can't actually be honest with how we feel because God can't deal with this. God can deal with it. And to speak our pain in prayer. Some people find journaling helpful. Some people like Cowper used the crucible of his pain to write poems and hymns of such depth that they have blessed Christians as they have shared the wisdom that a brother has won hard. Express that pain. Share with others. Come along, even though you might feel like running away from everyone. Come along and hear others praise God for his faithfulness. Come and share as we're about to do. The reminder of the God of all comfort who comforts us through the gospel of grace. Because the gospel is the ultimate comfort. So much more than David has. We have the gospel. David felt that God had turned his face. David felt that God had forgotten him. But the Lord Jesus knew it to be true. Remember on the cross, what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The comfort of the gospel is that Christ was forsaken, that the Father turned his face from his beloved Son so that we who have faith in God through him, that would never be our experience. We would never know a day where that was real because it was real for Christ. We might feel it, but it is never true. Our loving Heavenly Father, His love will never be taken from us. His purposes will be perfectly worked through us. We will be transformed into the image of Christ. And nothing will get in the way. Not the enemies, 
not the sorrows, not the turmoil of our thoughts. Our faith, our trust is in the Lord's salvation. He gives us such an anchor that when the storms come, when the enemies surround, when the night closes in, we know that he is faithful. So when we cry, how long, Lord? We know that there is an answer. There is an answer to that question. And our Father who loved us so much that he gave us Christ, he knows the answer to that question. He knows that answer. He has determined the times and he has proved his faithfulness again and again and again. And we can trust him. And we can rejoice in him. And we can sing because of him. God is at work in our pain. His purposes will be achieved. And his grace is sufficient for us. I want to conclude with probably the greatest hymn that Cowper wrote. It's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Just reflect on the words of a Christian brother who, like David, cried out, How long, Lord? and be comforted and encouraged by his answers. He writes, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you can be trusted. We may feel that you are distant. We may feel that you have turned all goodness from us. We may feel even under your condemnation. But Father, in Christ, we know that is never the case. We are your children. We are sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus. And as you delight in him, you so delight in us. That is the promise of the gospel. Father, help us to hold to that. When times are hard, when our thoughts accuse, when our sorrows threaten to overwhelm, Lord, give us your grace as you give us yourself.
And we pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.